So I think you have to start with who are you? What is your passion? What do you have as an expertise? Once you do that internally, it'll be easier to answer that question about who you want to work with. You're listening to Your Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. This week, I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest, Renee Norris. Renee is the founder and managing director of Urban Wealth Management, which she started in 2012, and she's been in the profession since the 1980s. She's a guest commentator on CNBC Closing Bell, and to top it off, she's the 10th president of the Association of African American Financial Advisors. She's also a trailblazer in the profession, advocating for women, people of color, and inclusive leadership. Up next, you'll hear Renee's great insights into the progress of the profession and how to find your place in all of it. Today on the podcast, we have the wonderful Miss Renee Norris, the founder and managing director of Urban Wealth Management, which was started in 2012. She's a guest commentator on CNBC's Closing Bell, so you probably have seen her on your TV. And to top it off, she's the 10th president of the Association of African American Financial Advisors. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Miss Renee. Well, thank you. I love that introduction. Can you do it again? Just kidding. <laughs> I can. I, I like the uh, no. intro part. No, I love it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to to share. Yeah. So I, I have a quick question because I'm always curious about these things. When I see a unique name for a firm, I always have to ask, well, how did you come up with Urban? wealth management. Yeah, thank you, because that often gets asked. Um, And because I'm African American, a lot of people think, oh, do you just work with African Americans? For whatever reason, I don't know why the two of those are combined that way. Um, But I came up with that name because the majority of people who do create their wealth are in major urban areas. And we have clients all across the country, um, and maybe they started out in an urban area, but they moved to Montana or Wyoming, but they got their wealth while they were in a major urban area. Um, And since our focus is working with professionals, um, that's where the majority of people are. Uh, So that's why I came up with it. And um, it took me a while to come up with that name. And when I did come up with it. I was so excited. I said, this is perfect. This is exactly what our focus is um, and will and will be. Um, so that's how we came up with Urban Wealth. So I know you're in Los Angeles um, area, which is very much an urban area. Yes. Were you born and raised in Los Angeles too? No. And, and I will tell you that most of the people in California probably six to seven out of 10 are from another state. So I was born in North Carolina, um, but I consider myself a native because I've been here since I was two or three years old. So I've been here a long time. But, um, you know, even though I've gone back to North Carolina, some of my family, a lot of my family has passed away. Um, But we have all of our, most of our family is on the East Coast, New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia, um, and some in South Carolina, and just one or two in North Carolina. 
So it's very limited. Just my immediate family, my two siblings um, are here uh, in, uh, in the Los Angeles area. So they were born here, but uh, not me. Wow. So you, you have family all over. You're that person when you go visit somewhere, you're like, well, I got family here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're visiting someone. Exactly. That's awesome. So then how did you get into the financial planning space? I, I know before you even launched Urban Wealth Management Group, um, you were with Morgan Stanley, but kind of give us maybe some background on how you maybe even got it into the financial uh, finance profession. Right. Um, I kind of uh, stepped into it almost by accident. Um, but I started out in an insurance industry and I was working for Mutual of Omaha. Uh, and I really got interested in, you know, in addition to doing insurance. And I, I started focusing really, and this is going to be a key part of our conversation about developing a niche. So while I was there at Mutual Omaha, I developed a niche where I was able to provide um, a special discounted rate for disability to government employees. And it was fantastic. It just blew up. Um, and my uh, branch manager uh, recognized it and said, hey, you're, you're a rock star. You're doing really good. Nobody else really had a niche. And so that helped to... Uh, support me in making a decision about, is this an industry I want to stay in? But also the most interesting part was my manager is African-American. So this is back in the 80s, which is extremely unusual. Um, he was one of three at that time in, in Mutual of Omaha that managed offices across the country. And so I was very blessed to have someone who actually had my back. He was my mentor and he also supported me. So while I was there at Mutual Omaha, I got my, my Series 65. And, you know, we could sell mutual funds and things like that. And I really got fascinated. I love the idea of being able to still make money, but not having to work all the time. And I exited there and started working for a company that was responsible for putting together the deferred compensation plan for the LA County. They never had one before, so I was there at the beginning stages and made pretty good money. Um, and then from there decided, I really want to become a stockbroker because that was the term at that time. Um, and so I took some time off and, and had my daughter, was married at the time, and uh, got my Series 7. Um, and from there... I did some research while I was off, while I had taken time off being a mom. And I was off for probably a, close to a year. Um, and I decided, let me interview around with different companies. Now, rather than them recruiting me, I went knocking on their door. So I went to several firms and, um, you know, said I was interested in coming in to, be, to work for them. And I was turned down by everybody except one firm. Um, and it could be, you know, because of the culture, because I was a woman. And again, this is back in the 80s. The percentage of women in the industry was very, very low. I mean, it was less than 10%. Um, it's, I think it was even less than 5%. It was really low. Um, and then being a person of color, they were like, no, you're not a good fit. No, they didn't say that, you know, that way, that this is the reason why, but just said, we don't think that you'll be a good fit. We don't think you'd be successful. Um, 
And uh, when I went to Dean Witter, uh, which was an amazing family-owned company, and at that time was owned by Sears stores, <laughs> um, then they or they were partnered with Sears, excuse me. But uh, that was a great opportunity. I went in, they opened the door and said, come on in. Um, and I had some amazing managers who also had my back uh, and took care of me, even though some people did not want to work with me because I was African-American. Um, so I stayed with Dean Witter and then from there went to, uh, when <laughs> Dean Witter got uh, acquired by Morgan Stanley, um, it changed the culture. And I'm not saying things negative about Morgan Stanley, but it was a different culture. Um, and culture and environments are really important in this industry. Um, so I left and went to another, went to another firm, uh, Prudential Securities at that time, and then left there after seven years and went to Smith Barney. And then Smith Barney was acquired by Morgan Stanley. I thought that they were stalking me. So I left and started <laughs> Urban Wealth Management at that time. Wow. I mean, the huge thing I noticed from your story is the amount of experience that you've had going from different firms and companies and being very flexible to the fact that like, I have my own needs. I know what I need to do to be successful, not allowing other people to basically say, Hey, you can't work here to stop you from you know, knowing that you wanted to do this as a profession and as a career, um, which has led you all the way up to the point of, oh, I, let me start my own firm. And I'm just like hearing this, I'm like, and, and now there's this kind of like perception for young planners, like, oh, they hop around from firm to firm or, and I, I think people like forget that most people don't just leave a firm mm -hmm. <laughs> or a company because they just, didn't like having to come into work at 8 a.m. every day. There's a real, there's some real, you know, depth to why people make transitions um, to help make them successful in the career. And it sounds like that has happened throughout your time and led you to today owning your own firm. Right. And, and one of the key components is the culture. It is the culture. You know, the industry in and of itself is is challenging as as is, you know, when you are whether you're starting your practice or you're starting your business. Um, if you are in a firm that doesn't really support or recognize that you want to do business a certain way, um, then, you know, that's the reason why you would want to exit. And I, and I understand that with a lot of our, our younger um, advisors, that they, you know, the, the culture of the, and women, the culture of the environment is not something that's conducive and supportive of them. And then that's why they exit. Um, so, the, and I loved being at Dean Witter. I loved being at Smith Barney. Um, both of those companies allowed you to be an entrepreneur, meaning you're, you are an employee, but they did allow you within reason for you to establish, you know, practice that the way that you wanted to. And um, I knew when I first started out at Dean Witter, one of the er the area that I really wanted to focus on was women. Um, and Dean Witter did assist in supporting me in that. And the same at Smith Barney. So to your point about culture being very important, I 100% agree with that. 
I also think it, it takes a great leader to build an amazing culture within these firms and companies. Um, as a current leader yourself within the profession, what characteristics do you feel make up a great leader? Um, someone that is open to differences in people and the way that they manage um, their, you know, well, pretty much recognizing that there's uh, not one single path to success. And I think that that is key when you are in an environment um, and maybe the the leader of that firm says, we're just, you know, you can only do business this way. And if you don't do it this way, you're not going to be successful or you can't work with us. That's not a very positive and open type of a place that you want to be in. I think there needs to be, from a leadership position, you need to be open-minded um, for other paths to go down and be able to support someone on that. Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, the other is to understand that being available to make adjustments also within your culture or your environment um, because the leaders can learn a lot from other people coming in who are doing business or going down a different path than what that leader has done um, and has taken in the past. So it's really important, I think, and we're in a turning point, a flipping point here in the industry where between um, millennials, uh, women, people of color, people with different lifestyles, that is what, that's what the world looks like. That's what our country looks like. That's what our community looks like. And you don't and can't necessarily work with each of those specific communities in the same manner as you do with another one. You need to make and be open to making some adjustments um, and how you work with people. Still, you have to have high levels of eth ethnic, ethics and um, competencies. But you need to be able to say, I'm going to work with women differently than I am going to work with, um, you know, a retiree uh, or a, a male that's been in the business for, um, in their industry for 30 years. They're going to have a different need and way that they want to work with someone than uh, a millennial. So the leader needs to be able to be open to and understand that there's a shift that's taking place in the industry and you can't do things the way that you did it 20, 30, even 10 years ago. I can sense this like level of like frustration sometimes when I talk to different next gen um, or just people entering the profession or other professions where they are dealing with a leader that isn't open to differences like you talk about. And when it's like my way or the highway type of leadership, it's very much like, well, how how does that empower or make people feel to go, I want to even follow you any longer? You know, when you don't even see me as an individual and you don't listen to me when I talk. Yeah, you're the leader, but that feeling of just knowing that I'm valued and that I'm important enough that you listen to me as my leader is like huge. And I know a lot of leaders that 
don't even do those things. It really brought, it was actually an interesting discussion that came out of the Next Gen Gathering Conference around leadership. Um, it was kind of around the idea if individuals could be born as a leader or are they made? Like you can groom them into a leader. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. Oh, absolutely. They can be groomed. The, the confidence level when you're coming into this industry can be low. Um, understandably, because uh, I hear this often for people who are just coming in, they feel like I, you know, I, I don't know as much, I don't feel confident to be able to share and tell clients what to do. And I have to tell them, you know, 10 times more, typically, than the person that you're going to be helping, than the person that you're going to be assisting. And over time, the confidence level increases, and it gets better, it gets stronger. Um, and it enables someone then to take on more of a leadership role. But again, it comes back to the culture. If you're in an environment where you're not being recognized that, hey, that's a, you know, that's a great idea. Um, someone could say, you know, let's try our onboarding process to be more digital, more virtual based as an example. Um, and if, you know, your leader says, no, we just want to meet people, you know, face to face, one on one. Um, and you know that the folks that you are focusing on prefer virtual or digital type meetings, um, then you, you know, your confidence level really kind of gets hammered at that point and you don't feel as strong or as enabled. So I think that you just continue, um, you continue to be groomed. It's very rare that somebody is born as a leader, very rare. Um, and if they are born as a leader, that means in their culture, in their family, in other places, their schools have supported them so that they feel confident about expressing their feelings um, and being a leader. Uh, it's always grooming. And so, you know, a key point is you want to be groomed. And the best way to do that is to be in the best culture and environment. And even if you're not in the best or you are to have a mentor and mentors um, to be able to, you know, to assist um, and providing you with, with some guidance so that you can be groomed to be strong and feel confident and be a leader. We have people who listen to this podcast that are probably sitting here listening like, oh my gosh, I have I'm a leader in my office and there's people that are maybe newer in my office and I'm and you maybe are able to see some of those leadership qualities in them. How do you think people could be working with that next generation of planner or support staff in their office to help them grow their skills and characteristics to becoming a great leader within the profession? Well, I I will use an example that um, we have here at our firm. And uh, we're an all-woman firm. And so it's important for us to build out, you know, and, and, well, build out uh, an environment and culture that we were not enabled to have in our previous um, firms. We work in a collaborative way. So I would say if someone is there in a, an environment and they're, they've started, and here's a way that you can groom the leadership to have them engaged in the meetings with your clients or prospective clients. 
they're able to see how this leader uh, currently works with their clients uh, or prospective clients. Um, and for the first few, maybe they don't say too much of anything. They just observe and make sure that that leader has a conversation with the um, upcoming leader uh, about what did you hear? Uh, what are your thoughts? What do you think I should have said or done? Because, um, I, you know, not all leaders are going to be 100% on board and, you know, not recognize that they might have missed something. And we love having a conversation where it's two of us here because I might hear something, but my team member hears something different. Um, and so really beginning to have them more engaged in these meetings so that they can feel much more comfortable about doing this on a one-on-one -on -one basis, um, I think is important, just as an example. Yeah, I love that part you just said. I, I, the word that comes into mind is just feedback in general, mm -hmm. like being a leader and talking to someone who's younger or new and saying, hey, what what do you think I could have done differently? Exactly. You know, putting yourself in that um, almost like reverse mentorship, <laughs> you know, where exactly. hey, you give me you give me some feedback, you know, allow that person to sit in the like leadership chair or sit in the I'm the planner chair to see like how I could go, oh, wow, this is that feeling that you have. This is what it takes to become a leader. Like really allowing them to grow um, from a space where they get to experience, try and practice it. So naturally they just, you know, get these, uh, they grow their skills to become a better leader. It's very difficult, I feel like, to <laughs> become a good leader when when I'm just like, Okay, I just came in the meeting. I'm sitting with Renee and uh, I come in all the meetings and I just listen, but I don't mm -hmm. actually do anything. So when you actually call on me, I'm kind of like, uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, I could give you this idea, you know, like, <laughs> and now I'm nervous and I'm like, well, I thought, you know, I, I had this down pretty good. Right. <laughs> I'm never, cause I, I never practice, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I don't never practice it. Um, one thing that I think is, not always discussed about leadership roles is the challenges you face as being a leader because it is a lot of work. I don't think we point that out like it's long nights. I mean, you own your own firm. It's long nights. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, responding to emails, doing all the things that you maybe not even like doing, um, <laughs> showing up early, you know, <laughs> no. there's a lot of challenges. So how, what are some of those challenges besides the ones that I just dropped? Cause those are, I'm, I'm probably coming from my own personal thought, but, um, what are some of those challenges you face as being a leader? Well, that you, you definitely pointed out all of the things. And so <laughs> <laughs> time management is yeah. for me has been, you know, a, a challenge. And so two days out of the week, I, you know, I was able to set up a scheduling uh, system so that Mondays are my admin days. I don't make appointments. I don't, you know, I don't, unless it's an emergency type, but it's basically me working on the business and working with our team. Um, Fridays, 
Uh, and I just started this about three months ago, but my office admin says, you're not following through with this, Renee, that I said I would just work half day until like one o'clock and leave. But I end up staying here till three. But it's better than staying until six or seven o'clock. <laughs> true. <laughs> so Very time true. management, yeah, has been um, has been a challenge uh, more than anything else is, you know, being able to have balance in your life. Um and I, I have to make sure that I schedule time so that I make sure that I'm doing stuff that's fun uh, and making sure that I take care of myself mentally and physically and being able to work out um, and being able to meditate and doing stuff that is just not going to be completely business focused. Yeah, that's that's been my my big challenge. What would you say like being in a leadership role when you're working with someone difficult that you like how do you kind of handle that when they're like I don't believe what you're saying Renee or I think we should totally be going this direction. How do you kind of attack situations like that as a leader? Mm. Well, I I'm pretty open minded. If somebody, you know, on my team says, hey, let's try doing this or let's go down this path. Let's say, okay, fine. Let's try that for a a certain period of time. Let's see how that works. Um, And I'll give you a timeline and here's some accountability features that we want. And this is what the expectation is. So I have people to put together and I've had this happen with some of our team members. Put together a proposal Give me some ideas about what you uh, what the expectation is, and let's let's work on it together. Now, if it doesn't work, then you will know why it didn't work because we didn't get the results that we were looking for. Um, and but I think at the end of the day, as a leader, you know, unless something is just completely out of whack, you know, it's unethical, it's not compliant. Um, you know, then we don't even go down that road. And I can just simply say that that's not going to work. But I I do believe that it's important as a leader still to be open to some ideas. Luckily, all of us get along well. We don't yeah. have any, any, you know, push-offs or disagreements. And it's interesting. I've had some people say, oh, you have all women. Do you guys get along? Well, yeah, we get along. <laughs> we even, get along. Uh, yeah, we get along. <laughs> we even show up sometime wearing the same clothes. I'm like, what? <laughs> the same top or the same shoes or something like that. So, but anyway, um, you know, if there is uh, some difficulty and we are not on the same playing field with trying to achieve something, we just have an open conversation and it's with everybody. Um, including our office admin, to to give our feedback. So um, that up to this point, we have not had those kinds of uh, issues. One of the last things that I'm really curious about you're you're the current president of I, I've already kind of said it, but it's really called Quad A. It even sounds kind of weird to say the whole name <laughs> out, but it's <laughs> it's Quad A for people who are listening. But it's the Association of <laughs> African American Financial Advisors. What made you go? I want to take on that role of being president. I mean, that that's one thing where you don't just be sleeping at night and go, I want to do that. Like what made you take on <laughs> more leadership capacity? I mean, like what makes you 
you know, what's that drive like? Oh, that's a good question because I, you know, I will say that it wasn't something that was on my, my plate initially. Um, and just by way of background, um, the association has been around since 2001. And I first learned about Quad A when they were pre-conference for the FPA back in 2015. Um, and uh, I signed up for them because I, even though I have been in wirehouses and there are days where they have, you know, a conference for women one day a year or conference for people of color, African-Americans, Hispanic, Asian, you know, it's one day a year. Um, and you don't have the opportunity to still stay connected with them. I immediately jumped in after I met all of these wonderful professionals, um, which are primarily East Coast based. Um, and over the last uh, four years now, this is my fifth year, I really became engaged and, and got involved on the board. I started the first couple of years in doing the planning conference, uh, the national conferences, and then came onto the board. So the reasons why when this was offered to me, I, I did hesitate uh, because I, you know, I'm running a business, I have employees, and I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to be really good at doing this. Um, and I did have to sleep on it and meditate on it for a while <laughs> because, um, because it does take up a lot of time. But I, one of the things that really inspired me was the person who started it, LeCount Davis, who was in his 80s. And I was motivated, inspired by the fact that he started this in 2001. And I wanted to continue his legacy um, because what he has done and been able to achieve over these years has been phenomenal. So we are now, uh, as part of this, I wanted to, once I took on that role, um, to make this more of a national huge national organization because they're primarily East Coast based. Um, and we've been able to do that in the last six months by doing a number of different activities um, and introducing the concept to people. So my, my role this year, as I told them, was the 3Ms is messaging, getting that out to everybody so that they know what and who we are. Also, um, mentorship. We're launching a mentorship program this year um, as well and uh, building out membership. So, so far, we have a great team. Our board and our different committees have been very um, active. And it also made it easier for me to take on the role by identifying people um, that I could relegate and delegate to. And they follow through um, with, with the roles. And so... Um, that's also helped me with my business, too, in that for this organization, you know, you're, you're developing the, the vision of what your role is going to be for this term um, and identifying people that can follow through with it. And it's also helped me here to really do a deeper dive into in my business, who can do X and finding the right person to follow through. So, um I'm very excited about, you know, being in the organization and being the head of the organization at this point. 
And we'll be looking for a new president soon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hope, uh, you know, by um, maybe by the end of this year, a a president elect um, and uh, be able to make sure that they follow through on a lot of the things that we have put in place. I think it's one thing to point out how much that taking on leadership roles really help you and your business tenfold that mm-hmm. it's like, it's not like one or the other, like, oh, I'm stopping my business and I'm becoming a leader for this association. It's, it goes hand in hand. It's like, it's, you're helping to move the profession forward. You're helping to keep legacies going forward. And all the same time, this is help benefiting you and your clients and the people you work with and your business. Right. And and one thing I just find extremely wonderful is the fact that you have an all-woman firm. I know you've mentioned that on the podcast now, <laughs> and I just have been like holding back, like, ooh, I want to <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> because uh, it, it, it's weird because it's kind of like the fact that we're like, wow, that's so amazing you have an all-woman firm. But the fact that it's like we're even having that discussion that it's wonderful, like it's not a normal thing, right? It's not mm-hmm. normal for people to have all-women teams. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, you have four financial planners and then two kind of support associates that make up your team currently? We have, there's four of four financial planners, so including myself. I have one um, intern. She works full-time at a university, but has been working with us for the past year. And I called her an intern and she changed it to be apprentice. So that's good. <laughs> I like that. There we yeah, go. Let's she's an apprentice. Yeah, she's, yes. she is amazing. And our, my office admin, who's been my longtime assistant, um, she has been my assistant for 20 years. And actually, I, I will just say this too. When I went independent, I was still at Smith Barney, um, I did tell her, because you can't make an announcement at your firm to say, hey, I'm giving you two weeks notice, you know, I'm leaving. (laughs) They walk you out the door. But I told her, I said, look, this this is what I'm thinking about doing. And if you are okay with this, if you can come with me, I will do it. But if you can't, I'm not going to leave. I can't do this without you. Mm. And um, so she thought about it. Next day she said, okay, let's get the heck out of here. And so (laughs) it took us about, um, it took us about six months to do that. But she has been absolutely key to the success of this firm because my clients, a lot of times they just talk to her. I don't even know that they've called the firm and she takes care of business. (laughs) Um, And so she's, um, she is an admin and she pretty much runs, um, runs a firm. So, and uh, I tell everybody, she's the boss of everybody. I might be the owner of the firm, but she's the boss. So <laughs> I follow her directions too. That's amazing. She, she's the director of getting it done. That's what that yes. is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and again, this is key to have a team with people that have the skill sets that you need, but will follow through. You know, a lot of people are passionate. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I really like that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do that. And then you're looking at them two months later and nothing has happened. Or two weeks later, nothing has happened. So all of my team, when they say they're going to do something, they do it. And I don't have to worry about it. We So it's been amazing. We host monthly webinars. 
Um, we do all of our own blogs. We do not buy anything from anybody. We make up our own presentations. Um, we have events locally. We just did a women's summit in May. Um, and it was interesting because we custody Wishwap. Our regional uh, liaison came to our women's summit. It was a woman. And as a result of that, and I just found this out last week, she uh, identified me as the person to do a national ad for Schwab. So Ooh. I'm headed up to the Bay Area, San Francisco in about a week and a half. And that will be ads for video, maybe TV, as well as, um, you know, uh, uh, interviews. So, you know, again, being unique in that we do have it because I never even think about the fact that we're unique. I just wanted to create an environment that was going to be conducive for women. Um, and I hear that often that, you know, there aren't hardly any women owned and all women team firms. Um, but that was not my intention. I really just wanted, again, we go back, which we started this conversation about is having the right culture and environment. And that was my goal. Congratulations on that. That is really awesome. That's just like ooh, one more you. step in like this. <laughs> the, the things you, you see how you got all this stuff on your plate, but the the things that come from it, the fruits of your labor, like yes. that is amazing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I do want to touch a little bit more on this because there's a reason why maybe a lot of people don't have a lot of women in their office. Different reasons for that the that they come from the profession. Different reasons from the cultures that people have in their office. But I want to know a little bit more specifically from you of kind of like your why behind having a woman only firm. Well, because our focus is primarily working with women, um, not at the exclusion of men, obviously, but yeah. primarily working with women and of the women that we have on our team, they all have, they're all mid-career changers, except for our, our intern. Well, she'll be a mid-career changer too. Um, she's much younger than the rest of us, but um, they're, and as a result of that, they have experience in areas that has allowed them to create a niche. So for example, one of our team members, uh, Diane, has came from the nonprofit world, came from the nonprofit space, made a mid-career change and became um, a financial advisor and then got her CFP. Um, a lot of the business that she does do is um, with uh, some nonprofits as well as individuals who are on boards of these nonprofits. Um, and she's just been elected as the board chair for the Women's Foundation of California. And so that is just going to expand her network of contacts. Another one is uh, Dorinda, is, uh, made a mid-career change. She was in higher education, uh, has her PhD, um, and she became passionate about doing financial planning. So some her specialization is working with educators um, and single women. So, you know, being able to identify what your your niches, because women are women, it's not a niche market. <laughs> we yeah. make up 52, 53% of the population. You still need to identify what area and um, that you want to specialize and work with. Um, and the best part of it is 
what does your life personally look like and how can you connect with this niche, this, this group of people that you want to focus on doing business with and for. So there's not that many women financial advisors, as we know, um, we've been stuck at 23% for the last decade. Uh, it means 77% are men. And so we want to give women the option to, um, to be in a safer, more supportive space uh, where we're not just talking about investments. We do talk about financial planning and elements that are more important to women um, that we believe are more important. And not starting at the, the place of talking about investments and technical terms, which just blows people's minds. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Can you help me with my college education or help me pay down my student loans? Or, you know, my parents are experiencing some, um, some health problems or I need an estate plan. That has nothing to do really with investment assets. It's about investing in themselves. And so that's what we focus on. And we've been very, um, very uh, popular in terms of, of people selecting us for those reasons. And we get a ton of referrals as a result of that. One of the things that's still scary every time, even though I know the number, it's scary to hear it every time of that 23% of the profession are women. What things do you th- feel like firms who are maybe more predominantly men should be doing to support the women in in their offices? Because, I mean, you've shown that you're able to do that. Um, what can what can maybe men in predominantly male-dominated uh, firms be doing differently? Right. Um, you know, one of the one of the challenges, and I hear this from a lot from women, is, you know, when they come into the uh, to the industry or they come into a firm, it's very sales oriented. And that's difficult, I think, for women. We're great with relationships and developing relationships. Um, and if you're planning to work with women in particular, we don't tend to make decisions right away. We got to trust you. And so that takes a little bit of time to develop that relationship with that person. So I think in those kinds of uh, environments, the recognition that uh, women uh, work differently than men do, not to say one is better than the other, but they work differently than men do, which might be more sales and more investment oriented. Women are going to be more relationship and focus on investing in the individuals. Um, more from a financial planning perspective. And I think that that is a big problem because there's an expectation that you have to have so much assets under management, otherwise you're not going to be successful. Um, So that's one thing. The other thing is, is that still with women to this day, we still are mostly responsible for managing our families. So if you're married, you got kids, you still need to have the flexibility to take your kids to the doctor's office or you know, to, um, to the soccer game or, or whatever. And typically because men, their husbands may not be in a position or a role to do those things. Um, women need to have the flexibility to kind of come and go as they need to, um, in and out of the office as they need to, to manage their family, uh, and manage their lives. And that's the other element that I see has been a little bit of a challenge. Um, and, you know, with someone who is just married and maybe they are starting a family, 
sometimes these firms don't want to hire them because they know they're going to be out for a period of time also. So they just need to be able to recognize that we function, we operate differently, um, and they can make adjustments to their uh, to their culture. So one idea might also be maybe you team up with a male who is very, or someone could be male or female, who's very sales oriented, knows how to get business in. And they are a rainmaker. But the woman advisor is the one who is helping to maintain and create sustainability of that relationship. Um, and can do a deeper dive into working with that person. So it's just not focused on their investment assets, but it's focused on their life and their livelihood. Um, and so that can be a good pairing up uh, for someone. And it also will help the woman to understand also, if she's not sales oriented or is not comfortable with it, how do you recruit and get new clients? Um, so just the thought about how women can migrate and, and, you know, be more integrated in these kind of environment, but they need to be able to have the time and the ability to develop the relationships with clients and not be sales, not be in a sales oriented, strictly sales oriented kind of environment. One thing that gets, you know, there's a lot of studies and initiatives that are out regarding getting women into the profession. Um, but one thing that I noticed that there's also, there's not maybe an exact statistic or maybe one I don't know of that of causing women to also leave the profession. And why do you think that maybe that, what do you think is causing that? And it could be something close to what you just said as our, our challenges. It definitely is that. It's, it's the culture. Mm. It's a culture. It's the environment and it's, you know, sales oriented in addition to that, really not being able to have um, a mentor or someone who can provide some guidance. I hear a lot of times that uh, women are, are, you know, being aggressively recruited. Um, but when they get into a firm, they're the only woman. Uh, nobody talks to them. Or maybe there is one other person. But nobody is there to really walk them through and support them as they're making this transition. So using that same example of if you are partnered with someone, let's say, that's been in the business for a while, be in all those meetings, be able to provide some feedback about, um, you know, what their observations were during that client or prospective client meeting. Um, it will help to raise the confidence level because the leader says, hey, I didn't even think about that. That's a great idea. That helps to build a confidence. And that person will feel much more capable and competent and being able to transition over into their own without, you know, no longer needing to be in um, these or pair up all the time with this person. But we need to make sure, I think, when women are coming in, or younger people, it doesn't matter. Somebody is coming in, they need to have somebody that's got their back and be their, their guidance and their mentor um, to assist with them making this transition because you can't do it on your own. This industry is challenging. Um, and being able to partner with someone or be part of a team can make a difference about being able to be sustained and stay in the industry. 
we've been speaking a lot about the importance of mentorship and um, you just kind of really touched on it, especially in regards to women and even the next generation. How do you approach mentorship, like maybe even differently within your office in kind of the dynamic that you have with the people that work there? Well, the mentorship can be, um, it, it may not even have to be from someone who's even in the industry. It's helpful to have that, and you can have more than one mentor. Um, but as it relates to here, um, we end up having conversations in a group. I do have some one-on-one meetings with a couple of our team members, maybe once a month, to just kind of review what is your game plan, how you know, are you on task with it, what are your challenges, what do you what do you think we need to do differently to assist you in getting to that point? Um, and I also am tapped quite often out on social media with LinkedIn um, in particular with someone, with women who are coming into the industry and want some feedback about what they should do, what's a good place to land, what are some of the things that and skill sets that they need to have in place in order to make the transition. Um, and, and that, I think, is a, is a responsibility that all of us who are in this industry must have. Whether you've been in the business for two years or 20, somebody is considering coming in or maybe they just started. There's a lot that you can share and assist with that person who's entering um, and opening up the door for them and sharing some ideas and supporting them. Um, when I first came in the industry, it was, like I said, it was very few women. And there was three of us that came in around the same time. We were different firms. But we literally, you know, in those first two years, we cried together <laughs> because <laughs> um, we did a lot of crying. But we all knew that we we loved this industry. We wanted to stay in it. Um and we were able, all of us were able to find mentors, people who had been in the industry for a while that assisted us in making sure that um, any issues or challenges that we were having, they would, they could provide us with some feedback about how we can make adjustments to our, um, to our practices. And that helped. It was absolutely essential. Um, I did an uh, interview with Investment News uh, last month and talking about what is key for uh, women and people of color, you know, to stay in the industry. And I did say mentorship is absolutely critical. Um, you just can't come in here and be by yourself. And being able to have somebody to say, what you're doing is fine. It may not seem like it. You may not be making as much money as you think you are, but if you continue on this path, trust me, you will be very successful. That means a lot and will allow people to stay. Um, they just need confirmation that they're doing the right thing. Or if they're not doing the right thing for somebody to say, no, you, you might want to consider doing it this way instead. Because um, your, your boss may not be your mentor you will probably need to have somebody else to, to share that with you. So one thing that made me like super, I was over here shaking my head like, wow, that is so true, is the point that 
mentorship can come from within the profession, but also outside of the profession um, for people that have maybe no idea what financial planning is. And um, what are some of the things, because, I mean, we've talked, we know the importance of mentorship. We know maybe some key points of how like mentorship should go, but what are some situations or things we should be worried about that could cause for a bad mentorship scenario where that's not actually mentorship or um, kind of red flags. That's not, you know, maybe that's not the right person to pursue, Mm. you know, what are some of those things? Hmm, That's a good question. I, you know, first of all, you got to have good chemistry and, you know, so you'll know that, but also if somebody is not listening to you, and they're too busy telling you what to do, and they're talking t- to you or at you, but they're not really listening. Um, that's number one. And t- to have the ability for somebody to not criticize you, you know, and say what you're doing is is completely wrong. You should look at doing this this way. Um, and it's similar to what I was saying before with leadership, you know, because sometimes, um, you know, leadership has has gotten, they've been successful because they've done business a certain way. But if they're not open to other means of and other paths, uh, then that's somebody that you probably don't want to work with, too. Um, but you can certainly identify, you know, if you already have a relationship with this person and you've had a chance to test, <laughs> test them out before you ask them to be a mentor. The other thing is, is that as a mentor and a mentee, mentors learn a lot from their mentees. It's reverse mentoring. And that mentor needs to be open to ideas that the mentee has as well. And, and I think that's key. All of the mentors, uh, mentoring that I've done over the years, I've learned something every single time from who I've been mentoring. And so somebody has to be open to that too. One thing that I'm always really curious about, and you share as much or as little as you'd like, but who are your mentors? Like, how, how did you go? That, that I need, I want that person to be my mm-hmm. mentor. They share <laughs> so much for me. <laughs> right. all, I'm always curious about that. The interestingly enough, um, I've I've had some amazing mentors, and one who doesn't think that he has been a mentor for me, and I just saw him a couple of days ago, was absolutely key to um, to my pushing off on my success. Um, and he was my manager when I was at uh, Dean Witter, um, and then he became my uh, business partner. Um, because he was in management and then he came out of management and became my business partner when we were at Smith Barney. Um, the, at the end of the day, he was somebody that met all of the characteristics that I, that I just said and still does where he's open to ideas. This is not just the one path to go down to be successful. Um, and it's great to have those conversations with him about, you know, what's working, what's not working give some input and provide some directions. You know, maybe he's not the resource, but say, hey, you need to talk to this person over here because I think they're going to be very helpful. Um, Being now in Quad A and really being able to connect with a lot of other 
um, professionals has also been very key because I've learned a lot from some of our, our members over the past five years and still um, very delighted to be open because the industry is changing. It's shifting. It's not going to be the same as what it was 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And um, I'm looking forward to what the next gen uh, population is going to be bringing, which is more diversity, more openness, more transparency. Um, and they can be our mentors <laughs> going yes. forward. It's not based on age or, you know, time in the business, I think, but we need to be very um, open on both ends. Just to kind of touch on that, we, we, we talked about it, the reverse mentorship, and there's actually a really great uh, podcast, and it's number uh, 147 that's on your financial planner now, what um, what Kayla Kennelly, and she talked about that, reimagining mentorship, mm-hmm. um, and she actually started a program where it was reverse men- mentorship um, in her previous firm, and so that's something to really think about when people are going through the mentorship process, thinking of who they'd like to be their mentor. But I mean, people who, like you said, they don't even think that they're they're your mentor. And you're like, you don't realize how much value you provide for me when we're just having a good conversation or you're just listening to the ideas that I have or the things that I'm trying to accomplish. Um, So all those mentors that are out there, you're just being too modest, but you really are helping those mentees um, in more ways than one. but one thing I, I want to kind of talk about as we kind of close out about the mentorship piece is what Quad A is doing and this new mentorship program that you're starting. Could you just discuss a little bit more about what's going on there? This will be the first official launch we are going to have at our conference, which is in September uh, 15th to the 18th at, uh, in Detroit. And um, we have some amazing members who have put it together um, and structured this, which will be officially, um, will be discussed at the conference, but it'll be officially launched in November. And so what uh, the individuals who have put this together will be structuring it as at least a six-month commitment. Um, we've structured it in such a way that there has to be at least, uh, one, one connection per month. Um, and then we're going to be checking in. We, as the uh, quad A is going to be checking in periodically with both the mentor and the mentee to see how things are going. Um, if there's any updates or changes that we need to make to the, to the platform. Now we have some very specific, uh, questions that we want both the mentors and mentees to address. And obviously for the mentees part is, you know, what is your goal? What what is it that you see as a challenge? Um, And then once we have that information back, uh, that committee is going to be responsible for connecting, finding the right mentor for the mentee. Um, Since this is an organization that's national in scope, um, we also will ask, is it a priority that you need to see your your mentee, mentor face-to-face, or are you guys okay with virtual meetings, Um, which hopefully that that will be a yes. And that way we have a better opportunity to match up a lot of uh, 
a lot of our folks. And as <laughs> I believe this is going to be the case, there's going to be a lot more mentees potentially than mentors. So we really are going to need to structure this out in such a way that everybody is, is taken care of um, in that manner. Um, and we'd like to expand it to include students. So at our conferences, we do have students from um, different colleges that come in and it gives them an opportunity to network with our members um, and potentially to be have mentors there and maybe internship programs, uh, which we are hoping to launch as well in the next uh, in the next year. That's amazing. I'm I'm really excited for the mentorship program. I, my side note is I'm like I'm signing up. I ho- I want to be in the mentorship program too. Um, and, and then just for listeners who's listening currently. Um, Uh, Renee had already said it, but September 15th through the 18th is the Quad A Conference in Detroit. And when you're listening to this podcast, it's probably only a couple weeks out. So cross your fingers that it's not sold out by this point. But uh, make sure to go on the website. Make sure if that works in your schedule that you're there. I know I will be there and I know Miss Renee will be there. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. And we um, also will be uh, expanding our platform um, to include uh, different uh, member benefits to our platform as well, Uh, the mentorship. And one of the big member benefits that we just uh, awarded was two CFP scholarships um, that we'll be doing annually. And so I'm happy to say that our apprentice was the winner of one of them. Oh, yeah. So she's very excited. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. That's really good. See, you just don't know where things take you when you're just like, you showing up in the right spaces, you talking to the right people, you got to be out there and you just don't know what things can come to fruition from just like Absolutely. showing up. <laughs> Absolutely. And don't be afraid. You know, you might say, oh gosh, I don't know anybody in this meeting or this organization, just go. You never know who will be a great connection for you and be able to support you. Um, We need more. We need more people coming into this industry and we need more people to support new people coming into the industry. So the mentorship program is is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, One other thing I will add to that here in, uh, in the LA area, I started, I co-founded a a women's mastermind group because for some of these independent, uh, basically for independent uh, women advisors, because we're pretty much segregated and we're, you know, alone in our offices, we put together this mastermind group about five years ago and uh, it's called WAM, Women Advisory Mastermind. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has helped to also create a culture and environment where we feel strong um, and address, you know, practice management issues. Um, and people can feel comfortable about getting back into their office and being, uh, engaged in building out their client bases, um, without having to be forced as you normally would be in certain kinds of cultures to do your business a certain way. Here, we're actually able to mentor each other. Um, and so if you don't have that in your environment, you can create it create your own. I know a lot of podcasts and conferences are very heavy focused with niches and defining who you work with. 
And I kind of just want to hear a little bit more about your experience with that, because you've you've found um, at least a niche that worked best for you. And how did you come? How did you maybe come to that point of knowing this is who I wanted to work with? Did it find you or did you go? I I just know that this is who I want to work with. Like, how did that look with finding a niche? I know a lot of young people that are joining the profession are like, how are people even coming up to know that that's who they want to work with? Hmm. That's a good question because it does take a little bit of, of insight, but quick and easy answer is, who are you? What are you passionate about? What is your specialty? Um, and if you're, you're strong and you understand what that is, it's, it's going to be easier for you to decide this is going to be my niche. So as an example, um, I knew I wanted to work with women because I'm a woman, yeah. but also <laughs> professional women. Um, and for me, it made it a difference because as I was talking to women who were in, you know, professional roles, um, they are so busy that they didn't have time to figure out, you know, the financial areas of their life. And so that was, that was an easy, breezy connection for me because I could tell them, look, um, I got your back. Let me help you figure out what you need to do in this space so you can continue to be successful as a professional woman. So I think you have to start with who are you? What is your passion? What do you have as an expertise? So for some of our um, uh, next-gen clients who are coming in, let's say they, they have student loan debt and they figured out how to get how to pay that off or some strategies, then maybe you can specialize in those individuals who have that. Or maybe you were somebody who had, you know, an interest in the tech space. You can work with people who are in the tech field, if you know that, or identify a specific company that you are very familiar with in terms of their services, their products, their um, employee benefits. So you really have to start from who are you and I think once you do that internally, it'll be easier to answer that question about who you want to work with. That was another really good like discussion at uh, the Next Gen Gathering was kind of defining what your identity is within the profession, which I'm going to ask you. But And then lastly, who's coming to see you? I mean, naturally, I feel like... Uh, I mean, this isn't the case maybe now because we have the virtual, virtual um, people are able to work virtually with um, one another. But if you think if you just had a standalone office, who would naturally come to your front door and who makes up those people that naturally come? So if it's the student loan debt, if it's people your age, um, if it's all the people that lived in that close community or cul-de-sac that you grew up in, or if it's teachers, you know, whatever that, who's naturally knocking on your door to help you kind of. Um, cultivate that group and start making sure you focus in, kind of narrow focus in on working with them. But you touched on this earlier, working with women, just saying I work with women isn't an itch. <laughs> there's, too <Exactly>. many, <laughs> the, exactly. there's too many of us for that to be just a niche. And so what is it about women? If, if that's your focus, what about women makes you interested to work with them? Absolutely. It down Absolutely. That. It could be, you know, um, uh, you know, 
hobbies that people have, you know, or maybe they're golfers and you love to golf too. And that's how you get your clients that way. You just, I think it's, it's good if it's aligned with what your personal life looks like. Um, because people are more interested in you uh, from a, uh, a real person perspective. They want to hear what your story is. Now, like I have on my website, some of my um, challenges were working with, uh, uh, or the reasons why I started working with women, um, uh, who have a variety of reasons, but most importantly in the last seven years, was realizing that women have challenges. We live longer and we don't have the capability or understanding about uh, what needs to be done in order to ensure that they can maintain their lifestyle. And so making sure that they have adequate um, care, long-term care, for example, if you have to take care of your parents, what do you need to do in order to make sure that they are going to be taken care of? If you're transitioning, you work for a company that has, um, which we do, you know, that has stock options. I've had some clients who didn't know that they had stock options. I said, you work for a publicly traded company. And one client said, I said, go online to your site and see what you have there. They worked for this company for seven years. They went there and they said, oh, I got 120000 I said, see? Ah, no. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, thank you so much. Yeah. So it's that kind of um, assistance that you can provide for people that, um, that allows you to really develop that niche. So you just have to know what you're going to be passionate enough about that you'll be able to sustain those relationships. Um, but again, it comes back to who are you, what do you want, um, and how can you connect with people? Tell them your story. Yeah. One thing that I, I really liked about your website, kind of talking to the point where you're saying I worked with women and if, you, if you're a woman, you go to their website, you, you see kind of the images of who you work with. And even you, you just touched on them here where you're like, we work with, you know, professional people in life changes, but I liked how you tapped kind of touched in the third act, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's just, and, and the pictures, people can see that. Like, I think that's one thing where it's like, not only do you know who your niche is, but how you communicate and make them feel like, yes, you could come work here. If I went on your web, if I, I, someone told me, oh, you should be working with urban wealth management. And I go onto your website because I'm like, all right, let me look up Renee and what it is she does. Can I, as a consumer, visually see or read that you actually work with women that fit the different needs. And I go, Oh, wow. Okay. I'm in a life change. Right. That's me. I, okay. I really need to work with Renee. Is it communicated what Mm -hmm. that niche is to the public? Exactly. And we, we really, uh, we updated the site so that people could see that that's exactly what we do and they can identify that. Yeah, I am. I'm a busy professional. I don't have time. Um, or I going through a life change, you know, I've lost my spouse or there's a job change. Um, and that's made a big difference. We're going to start doing videos, very short videos where we can kind of share what solutions we've provided with our clients to also be able to share with people. Oh, that's me. I'm getting ready to have a, uh, severance package. Um, how do I manage through that? Uh, but yeah, I think that that'll also be another great way for us to share with people how we work together. 
as we wrap up our podcast here, it's been such great information. I mean, we've touched on a lot of heavy topics, leadership, your business, I mean, mentorship, your identity. And I just want to kind of close out with a pretty good question for you on what you feel your identity is within the financial planning profession. I would say, and I have this on my LinkedIn, I feel like I'm a trailblazer (laughs) because I came in at a time where, you know, the number of women was very limited. Um, And one of the things that my mentor told me years ago is that if you want to be successful, you have to be in places where you will stand out. If you look like everybody else and you have the same kind of mindset, it's not going to be unique. And being unique and being in an environment that is um, unlike what your environment is will help you to stand out. And that has helped me in a variety of ways. And so um, as a result of that, it has allowed me to launch a tremendous amount of promotional elements. Um, And as you mentioned, I've been on CNBC. done a lot of blogs and investment news, a lot of different things because we are unique in the fact that um, a a woman and a woman of color that has been in the industry for as long as I have been and still here. So that is key. Um, So, well, thank you so much, Renee. This was a great conversation. I know listeners are going to be like, this. I needed this today. Good. And it's going to be really great because at this time, I'll be seeing you in a couple weeks. Yes, you will. <laughs> yes, you will. Thank you so much. And I am so appreciative of being in this conversation. And I hope that will be inspirational for a lot of other people that are listening to it. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.